as you open up in John chapter 6, remember we are following Jesus and we see how He reacts in situations so that we can learn by that and we can apply it to our lives and we grow in faith so that we know how a child of God needs to conduct himself in a situation. Uh, before we get there, I want to read to you out of Psalm 119. Everybody knows that's the longest psalm in the Bible, yes? Have you read through the whole Psalm 119? The Psalm 119 is about the Word of God. If you read that, you get wonderful passages and scripture verses there. It's the Word of God. As John chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we know that that Word talks about Jesus Christ. And this whole Psalm 119 is about the Word of God. I want to read verse 17 to you. Listen to this. He says, Deal bountifully with your servant, that I might live and keep your word. That I might live and keep your word. The purpose for us to preach the word of God every Sunday is to hear the word of God, but not only hear the word of God, but to keep the word of God. Do not be listeners who walk out of this place and then forget everything you've heard. Go out and keep the Word of God. Uh, it, it, it is the psalmist to say that I keep your Word right here in my heart so that I may not sin against you. There's a lot of things the Word of God does and one of them is not to sin against God. And here again the psalmist says that I may live and keep your Word. Now I like verse 18. He says, Open my eyes. Open my eyes. We are all blind, spiritually blind, before we come to Christ. And here he says, Open my eyes, that I may see the wondrous things from your law. I pray that verse often. I pray it often when I do Bible study. I pray it often when I just read the Word of God casually. But with me, I don't find it that I can read the Word of God casually. Because if I start reading the Word of God, I start digging into it. And then I pray and I say, Lord, open my eyes. How many times have you read the Word of God and then you see new things? You go, wow, I didn't see that last week, I didn't see it last month, I didn't see it last year, I didn't see it ten years ago, but now I see it. It is because God opens up your eyes. How many times have you sat in a sermon and somebody preaches something in, over a text that you've read so many times and you go, wow, I didn't see that. How many times? Did it only happen to me or is it you too? And that is it. The Holy Spirit of God opened up your eyes. Why? So that we may grow in Him. So that we may grow spiritually. This is why Paul says, in the beginning we were like babies. What do you give a baby? A T-bone steak, 500 gram T-bone steak. Come on, that's what you do, says there, isn't it? <laughs> that's what they say the South Africans do, pop and place, okay? No, we don't, we give them milk. And, and as they grow stronger, we start giving them the solid food, and as they grow stronger, we start giving them the real stuff, the steak. Yes? And, and this is it. The, the Holy Spirit opens it for us, gradually. He opens up your eyes so that we can see. And this is, this is the prayer of the psalmist. 
And this is my prayer this morning that He may open the text that we're going to look at today for all of us. I'm not pointing to you because although I've studied it and although I've prayed about this passage many a times, every single time I open the Scriptures, every single time I preach over a passage, that is my prayer. I say, Lord, please open up my eyes that I may see the wondrous things of Your Word. So now we continue on in John and we're in chapter 6. And let me just say, we're going to camp in chapter 6 for a few weeks. Because it's a long chapter. There's so many things that happens in chapter 6. It starts off with a wonderful miracle. And when we're going to get, come into this, we will see how the Word of God just not only enriches us, but it builds our faith in the Son of God, in the Son of Man, in Jesus Christ. So, in John chapter 6 verse 9, we find there this lad, this young man, and he says, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But, what are they among so many? These are the words of Andrew, one of Jesus' disciples. He came to Jesus and in this one sentence, there, in this one phrase there, I find two immediate things. I find immediately that there is provision here and there is a problem. Have you seen that? The provision, he says, there is a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. And that's the topic of our message today. If you think about it, for one person that looks a lot. But then we find this word, but... You see it right there, he says, but. Now, but is always a sharp contrast. I was walking in this way, but I need to go into that way. Whenever you see the word but in the Bible, look at the contrast. It is either a positive to a negative or a negative to a positive. It's either black to white or white to black. I love it when the word is actually just talking to us like that. Who would have thought that one small word in the English language can have such a big contrast meaning. Here is the provision. But, it is enough for one man. And that is the problem here this morning. He says, but what are they amongst so many? So many. If I bring five barley loaves in here, which is small loaves and two pieces, even amongst us here, sitting here, that is the problem of provision. And this is what Andrew came to our Lord and he said these things to him. Now, the immediate problem here is that, you know, people came to Jesus. There were a crowd of people that came to Jesus. And then Jesus turned to his disciples when he saw the crowds. In fact, they spent a little bit of time with Jesus during the day. And he says, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? You see, that is the problem here. The problem is we need to feed a multitude of people, but the provision is only a little. Now, who can do anything out of that? Believe it or not, but some people will run away. They'll go, oh, that's your problem. See you later. And we've got a lot of runaways in this world, don't we? The minute a problem strikes them, they, I'm out of here. Then you get a lot of people in a situation who, who try to solve the problem in their minds. 
And then you get the doers. The people who just say, let's, let's do something about it. So let's look at this miracle. And we'll see this morning four reactions to this problem. Four reactions. And we're going to look into those reactions. And I want you to measure yourself against those reactions. Never come to the Bible and say, it's for the person next to you or the person in front of me or behind me. It's for me. I'm preaching this morning for myself. I measure myself up at these reactions. What would I have done in that situation? So, saying that, let's get into the Word. John chapter 6, verse 1. If you follow in your Bible or if you follow on the board. It says, After these things Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And it's not two different places here. When he says the Sea of Galilee, he's talking about the shoreline. It was in that province. And when he says, which is the Sea of uh, Tiberias, then it's the immediate place around the tall, uh, town called Tiberias. So he specifically points this to an area. You'll see why. Then a great multitude followed him, because they saw his sign. And let me say it, brothers and sisters, these days, a lot of people are following Jesus for the signs. You find so many churches who put such a big emphasis on the signs, but they neglect the Word of God. And that's why I started this morning saying, let's look at Psalm 119. Let's look at the Word of God. That's important for me. But this multitude followed Him for the signs. They just wanted to see the trick. And this is the problem with signs. If you see a sign today, tomorrow you want to see a bigger sign. And that's the problem if you build a church on worship. Listen to me. If you have great worship today, tomorrow you need to outdo the previous day's worship. Otherwise people will become boring in church. If you come with tricks and books and all of these nonsense... People want better the next day. If you follow a preacher, listen to this carefully, if you follow a preacher, tomorrow you want more out of him. But I think, no I don't think, I know I found the answer. His name is Jesus Christ. Because he's always full to give to you and me. And this is what a clever man told me one day. He said, John, if you preach one day in church, build the church on the Word of God. That was a clever man which taught me that. Because this is the thing, dear friend, in your whole lifetime, you will not find the depth and the width and the height of this Word. I've been studying this Word now for more than 20 years and that's not saying to impress you, but I'll tell you, still now, I find more things in the Word of God. And that is what people need to look for. Not these signs. They followed him because they saw the signs that he did on those who were deceased. And in verse 3 it says, And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover of the feast of the Jews was near. And it's interesting, I just want to bring it out to you. He says that he sat with his disciples. The word, therefore, sat in the Greek comes from a word, kathemai. And, and it means that he sat in cathedra. 
And cathedra means the people were sitting around him. And in those days when a teacher sat down, it was the seat of instruction. These days I stand up here and you sit down. In those days, the teacher sits down and the people sit down. But the people waited for the teacher to sit down. It wasn't a sign of disrespect. That's how they did it. And when the rabbi sat down, he sat down in cathedra. He sat down in a seat of instruction. Now he's going to teach them. He's going to give them instruction. In fact, open up in your Bible in Matthew chapter 5. Because in Matthew chapter 5, as you all know, we find the Beatitudes which was preached, that great sermon that was preached of Jesus himself. And just two verses there. Matthew chapter 5. And you find this happening over and over again. And seeing the multitudes, verse 1, again, wherever Jesus was, there was a multitude. Wherever he went, people followed him. They were intrigued by him. It isn't to say that the multitude shows success. Just look at me for a minute. I just want to labor this point a bit. It is not to say that the multitude is a sign of success. We just saw it there. They came because of the signs. In fact, if you have a multitude, you need to work through the multitude with the Word. And as you're going to see in this chapter, in chapter 6, go and read it this afternoon, we're going to get there, as you will see, Jesus works through the multitude and He deals with the hearts and then a lot of them walked away. I'll put a challenge out there, okay? Whoever hears my voice, Let's take one of these mega churches in the world today. They will not do what I'm going to say now. Invite me to come and preach a message of sin and repentance there and half of that people while I preach will walk out. That is it. It's not to say because you've got a thousand in your church that you're successful. It is how you preach God's Word. You see, it is because you preach man was born a sinner and he needs a Savior. And you need to repent of that sin and then you walk in Jesus Christ. That is the message. So we find everywhere Jesus went, there is this crowd around him and he works through them. But let's, I, I, just, I was on a rabbit trail there, but let's get back in Matthew 5, verse 1. And seeing the multitude, he went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, you see that? In cathedra, he sat down in the seat of instruction. His disciples came to him, then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, you see, the point that I want to make here is he opened his mouth. And the minute he opens his mouth, everybody is silent. Now he speaks with the authority of God. Now he speaks. And everybody listens. It's the seed of instruction. Let me just throw this in here. Coming from a Pentecost background, when the Word of God is preached, it takes the highest authority in church. Then if I preach, nobody jumps up while I'm preaching, starts speaking in tongues. just want to touch this. If it makes those blue, let it make it blue. But when Jesus Christ opens his mouth, that's the authority. Now God speaks, and there's no chaos in the house of God then. It's a clear, crisp message from the throne of God. 
speaks through his servants. And we're going to see that just now. Do you see that? He sits down now in cathedral in the seat of instruction. Let's continue on. In fact, in Malachi chapter 3 verse 3, we find this. He says that he will sit. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. Have you ever seen silver being purified? You put the heat on it. (laughs) Yes? And when you put the heat on it, what happens? The dross. The filthiness, the impurity goes to the top. And what happens? They scoop it off. And then you turn up more the heat. This is how you purify silver. And here Malachi says in Malachi 3, He, Jesus Christ, will sit in the seat of instruction. And what will He do? He's going to turn up the heat. Some people say, Oh, it's getting so hot in my life. Well, He's showing you out. The dross will come to the top and scoop it off. Repentance of your sin. There is a hell where people will go if you do not repent. You won't hear that in a lot of churches these days. He says in that verse, He's a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Here Jesus sits. And he is in the seat of instruction. Whenever you're going to read the Bible from now on, you will, you will pick up on this. You'll sit in and you say, oh, there he sits. You know what? He sits in the seat of instruction. He opens up his mouth and he speaks with authority. So we continue on. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes in verse 5, and seeing the great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? There is the problem. And we find the first reaction. The first reaction of man is to do what? Is to send them away. In fact, we don't find that this, this miracle is the only miracle written by all four Gospels. You find this in all four Gospels. All four of them write about it. And we find the first reaction, not in John, but we find it in Mark. So let's read Mark chapter 6. Verse 34. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them. I love this passage. I, you know, John left it out when he wrote about it, but Mark writes about this. Mark, when he wrote about it, our Lord, he's a more action man. He's a young man. He's more about action. But when he came to this point and he wrote about these people, he said, when Jesus looked up, he was moved moved with compassion for them. You see, a lot of people might have compassion, but they are not moved. No, I'm feeling sorry for that person, but you know what? Yeah, rather him than me. But then you get people who are moved by it, and it's the people who are moved by something who do something, yes? I just want to throw it in. I, I felt terribly on, on Wednesday. I left the office to go to the airport to fly out to Sydney. And normally, I give myself ample time to, to get to the airport. I, I don't like to be rushed. But somehow, I saw a half an hour slip away in a meeting, and I saw another half an hour slip away, 
And then I started working and I thought, ooh, you know, I better get to the airport now. And as I walked out to my car and I put my bag in and I turned around, I was a little bit startled because there's this old man standing with his stick there right behind me. And he says, excuse me, sir, can you help me? I said, of course I can. He said, I don't know where I parked. I'm absolutely lost. He said, I'll pay you $10 if you can, if you can just get into your car and we can just drive around and see my car. And immediately, immediately, I say to the same that I have, I felt the compassion in my heart. I felt for this man. But then I thought, I'm late. And the first words that came out of my mouth was, so I would really like to help you, but I think I'm going to miss my airplane. He said, thank you so much. And he turned around and he walked away. I felt terrible. Terrible. What was that? Oh. So... I put my back in the passenger's seat and I, I got into my car and I, and, and I couldn't get it out of my mind. I sat there and I thought, you know what? Let me up. And I grabbed my back, threw it over. I drove around and I stopped and I said, look, let's look for your car. Now, now don't go, I'm a hero because I'm not. I failed. I had compassion, but I wasn't moved. I moved later. And we, we drove up a few places and I started talking to him. He's a Greek, uh, old Greek man. And, and I started asking him about his family. And I could clearly understand this man, couldn't even remember. He was so panicked. And as we drove around, I realized this is going to be long because Chatson has got a lot of car parks. And we drove up and the security was standing there. And I stopped there and I just was going to ask him to call out for the number. And he says, that's fine. We, we get this every time. I, I pray to spare him. I say, thank you, Lord. They get it every time. They know what to do. So they took the man from that point on. But I've learned my lesson. And when I prepared for this, I felt, Lord, there I was. I had compassion, but I wasn't moved. Yes, I moved later on, you can say. But this is it, friends. Jesus immediately had compassion and he says, he continues there, because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. And when the day was now fast spent, his disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place and already the hour is late. Send them away. That they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread for they have nothing to eat. That's the easy way out, yes? And do you know a lot of people conduct themselves like this? Oh, I'm so glad it's your problem and not my problem. Just send them away. Sir, I'm going to be late for my plane. Sorry, there you go. I'm guilty. I'm not standing here as a righteous man preaching to you. That's above everything. I'm guilty. But so many people are guilty with this. Look, even his disciples were guilty to that. I would have thought by now, these men walked with Jesus. And, and this, this happened two years into, it's, it's long into the ministry, it's not the first week. They would have saw Jesus' compassion. They would have seen how he deal with people. They would have seen how he reached out to the sick. One would have thought by now, they would have had it in them to help people, yes? 
One would have thought, you say, you're such a model Christian. You go wherever Jesus goes. Look, I see when He pray, you pray. One would have thought by now, these people will turn to the masses and go, Jesus, we need to help them. But the first reaction is, send them away. Let them go. It's not my problem. I don't know about you, brother and sister, but the Lord has put us on this earth amongst the family to help each other. That is one of the first things He takes care of. It's our selfishness. When we come to Christ, we die in ourselves. That word self dies. It is a terrible death. Let me tell you that. It is hard to do. It is so hard to tell somebody, you have to die in yourself. What? Our whole universe these days is set around self. The whole universe these days, the message from Hollywood, the message from the self-help gurus, everybody says, you are the centerpiece. It's about you. And the best life you can have now. Is that the message? I'm not asking you. It is the message that the world is crying out. One would have thought these people spend time with Jesus and they died in themselves to look out for the other person. Will you give your last ten dollar in your pocket to somebody? That was your lunch money and you're still hungry. You didn't have lunch, but will you reach in and give it to somebody else? You see, this is what love is. The definition of love is to satisfy others at the expense of self. Now listen to this. Not out of the overflow. Let me explain. A lot of people have got plenty. And they say, oh yeah, no, I help people, but it's out of the overflow. Have you heard the statement that love hurts? And it's true. It hurt my Jesus Christ when He went to the cross and He died so that we may have life. It hurt the Father. Listen, the Father sent His only begotten Son to the world so that we may have life. But here the disciples go, send them away, let them go. Let them go into the cities and the surroundings so that they may buy. And you know what Jesus said in that passage? He said, look, they are so weak and, and maybe they won't make it. So the first reaction is, send them away. The second reaction is really interesting. And we find it in John chapter 5 verse 6. And this is man's provision, but there's no faith. Listen to this. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing the great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, this is an interesting one, Philip, you remember Philip is the one who brought Nathaniel to Jesus? And when he brought Nathaniel to Jesus, what did he say? We found him which Moses and the prophets is talking, Jesus, the son of Joseph, we found him. And this Philip, the very same Philip spent time with Jesus. One would have thought by now he's got a lot of faith in the man who he's following. But listen to it. He, he turned to Philip, he says, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Now Philip answered him and said, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. Oh, I love the Word of God. Here is the practical man. Here is the, the man who is thinking, look, we're going to look at how much money we've got. 
man's provision. 200 denarii is 200 days of salary. That's a lot of money. And he goes, Jesus, maybe we should call... Look, I'm not saying the word says that this is just my thoughts around this, okay? Maybe we should call Judas Iscariot over because he carries it in the bag and see how much money is in there. But, but even that, 200 denarii is not enough. It's not enough. It won't be sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. And this is always the problem. Man's provision can only supply a little. And that little is not even a drip in the bucket. So, if we go out and we take this 200 denarii, in fact, Philip was closer. One wonders, why did he ask Philip? Because Philip was from that region. That's why he asked him. He was from Bethsaida. And maybe some of the people in the crowd, he might have noticed them, he might have recognized them. So, Philip, you're from this area. Where are we going to buy? And he goes, Lord, 200 denarii. Maybe we could go and, and knock on the baker's door and get every bread he's got. But it's not going to be enough for all of these people. There were a lot of people there, 5,000 men. He didn't say how many women. They reckon it could have been over 10,000 people. 200 denarii won't do it. So that each one may have a little. So the second reaction is man's provision. And man's provision is not the best provision. There's no faith built into that. So the second, the third provision is man's provision. Look at this now, with a little bit of faith. Remember, man's provision, no faith, could only give a little to everyone. Now he says in verse 8, one of his disciples, Andrew, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother said to him, there is a lad here, that's your verse, who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? Oh, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, his oldest brother. It is interesting you don't read a lot about Andrew. You read more about Peter, his younger brother. And in fact, his younger brother is going to outshine him. We're walking with Jesus. But Andrew was a people's person. Andrew, you would have thought, he would look at these people and go, Lord, let's help as many as we can. We can't help everybody, but we can help a few. Have you heard that one before? So here he goes, he goes, there's five barley loaves. Now, barley loaves and two small fishes. This is a poor man's food. It wasn't the food for the rich and the wealthy. It was a poor man's food, barley loaves. We pick this up in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 7. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills. That's a beautiful land. A land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, land of olive oil and honey. That's a beautiful land, would you say? But look, there's provision for everybody there. There's wheat and there's barley. In Psalm 81 verse 16, he says, He would have fed them also with the finest wheat. And with honey from the rock, I would have satisfied you. So, when this young lad came, he came with a poor man's lunch. Barley bread. They didn't eat barley bread a lot. They ate wheat. 
the things that were made from wheat. So here it's really interesting to notice what the Lord's going to use or what they bring to him. This boy came there with his lunch. It was enough for him. And maybe a second person he could share with. Two fish. It wasn't big fish. It wasn't a, a big snapper. Okay, it was small little fish. And maybe it was dried fish. I don't know. I wasn't there. I'm just reading the text. All I know is there's provision, but it's not enough. There's the problem. And now I wonder, you know, when I read this passage, I wonder, why would Andrew come with this? Why would he use the word but with Jesus? Again, I come back to the point, he walked with Jesus so long. He should have had so much trust in Jesus to say, Lord, here is a man with this bread. I surely believe and let's pray you can do something with it. That is faith, isn't it? But he only had a little faith. And I, I wondered why. Why would he have brought this young boy to Jesus? And then I thought, look, there's a passage in the Bible and maybe he read the passage which I'm going to show you now and he thought, whoa, it happened before. Did you know that? This happened, this miracle happened before. Let's go and have a look in Second Kings uh, chapter 4, verse 42. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 42. There's nothing new under the sun. I'll give you a little bit of background as, as you go to the, to the first part of this passage. Elisha was in Gilgal. And when he came to Gilgal, there was a huge famine in the land. And with this famine in the land, he came out and there were prophets sitting around and he, he said, we, they didn't have anything to eat. So what did he do? He said, go out and get a stew, make a stew for the people. So the, the, the person went out and they found, instead of, of, of herbs and stuff to make a nice stew with, they found wild vine. Wild, wild vine. Did I get that right? The W's on my tongue this morning. <laughs> and they put it in the pot and they started stewing the stuff up and, and the people started eating on the stuff and they turned to Elijah and said, there's dead in the pot, we can't eat this stuff. And this is when, what happened next. In verse 42, 2 Kings 4.42, Then a man came from Baal Shalisha and brought the man of God bread of the first fruits. Twenty loaves of barley bread. You see this? I find it fascinating, don't you? Look at this. This young boy brought barley loaves. Even the bread was barley loaves. He brought him twenty loaves of barley bread and newly ripened grain from his knapsack. And he said, give it to the people that they may eat. Now look at this. There's also a but in this. You see that? But. There's the provision. But. There's the problem. What's the problem? But his servant said, what shall I say before 100 men? Have you seen 100 men together? Hungry men? I mean, <laughs> they went as far to taste that stew. Don't tell me when they started preparing the stew, you couldn't smell it. You go, oh, that's not the same smell we had from herbs. That's a different smell. Oh, I don't know. I wasn't there. It might have been stinky when, it's, when, it, when they cooked it, okay? And when they tasted it, oh, we've got a hundred hungry men. I've raised two boys, and I'll tell you what, if the three of us get hungry, we can, we can finish a big plate of food. 
20 bread ain't going to last 20 or 100 hungry men. He said again, Give it to the people that they may eat, for thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left over. So he said it before them, and they ate and had some left over according to the word of the Lord. There you've got it. It's happened before. So maybe, just, I don't know. Look, I'm going to have a lot of time sitting with Andrew in heaven and ask him, did you know this when you went to Jesus? When you asked him that? Did you, know, did you read this in... Did you know this happened to Elisha? But this happened before. But look at the math now. The math goes 20, 100. I can maybe believe that. But now, we've got five barley loaves, 5,000 plus. No way. That's why he came to Jesus. He says, I've got all of these things, but they are among so many. What are they among so many? And this is the thing. You remember the first reaction when man came with no faith? He said, 200 denarii, but that can only provide a little. Now they came to Jesus with a little, with a little, and see what Jesus can do with a little. I think you and I can learn from that. We come to Jesus with all we've got. And let me just say to you, when I came to Jesus first, I had nothing. I didn't even have a little. I fell on my knees and I said, Lord, I'm a sinner. I've got, I ain't got nothing. I didn't even have life. I had no rights. We're living in a rights society. Dogs has got rights. Cats has got rights. Animals has got rights. Plants has got rights. Children's got rights. Man's got rights. All of these rights. When I came to Christ, I had nothing. And I gave it all up. I said, Lord, I'm dead. You know what he said in Romans? He said, whilst you were without strength and a sinner, Christ died for you. I gave him nothing and he gave me all. These men came to him with little and see his reaction. He... Uh, um, the fourth reaction, he, he, he looks at, look at verse 10, uh, John 6 verse 10. Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. That should read Jesus' reaction, not that, that's the wrong title there. But then Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now this is something interesting. This is the first step of faith. People are standing around. What are we going to do? We're hungry, our bellies are aching. What are we going to do? The disciples said, send them away. While they're standing around, send them away. Um, one man comes, he says this, you know, I've little all of this. Once you set them down, expectation is born. Sit them down, something's going to happen. Once you sit them down, they go, okay, somebody's going to look after us. This is now a state of permanency. I'm going to sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place. Isn't that wonderful? It was that time of the year when the hills were covered with grass. You know, when God looks after you, He looks after you. They didn't have, even have to eat the food on the ground. They put them down in grass. So, the men sat down in number about 5,000. The men sat down in number about 5,000. There's a lot of commentaries around this. Some say, well, in a number means all of them were 5,000, but he talks about the men. And there's a lot of commentaries who say these were just the men counted and then you had the women and the children who followed. Because what happened, they came for the Passover and they came from distant countries. 
And on the way to the Passover, this happened. They followed Jesus. And they had their families with them. So they reckon this number could have been in excess of, of 10,000. Sit them down. And Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks, when he had given thanks, he distributed it to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down. I find that interesting. I find it very interesting. Jesus didn't go around and start giving it out himself. He could have. He's God. He's Jesus. But he gave it to the disciples. Later on in this, in this chapter, in this gospel, he's going to say, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. He's going to talk about the manna later on. The manna which God sent was, was him. He's the manna. Sent from heaven. And here we find a picture now. He, he gave it to the disciples first and the disciples handed over to the crowd. And I find it the same way we do the gospel. God give it to us and we give it to others. That is why when you read this morning in the book of Corinthians when he says, that which I received from the Father, that which I received from Jesus, that what I received I give. If you haven't received it, you can't give it. If I give Kylie ten dollars here and I say, please give that ten dollars on to Oscar at the back there, but I don't give her the ten dollars, can she give it? She hasn't got it. Friends, it's your and my work and it's our task to stay with the Father, with Jesus, to get the heavenly bread so that we can give it on to the others. He gave it to the disciples and out of their hands, out of their hands, the people started eating. It's wonderful how the Word of God works. And likewise of the fish, as much as they want it. You see, just like in the Old Testament, just like in Kings, as much as they wanted. Remember when he came with the two denarii, he said, we will buy so many bread, but everybody will have a little. Now he took the little and he gave to everybody as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to the disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Nothing goes to the birds and to the animals. Therefore they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. How many disciples did he have? Twelve. How many baskets were left over? Twelve. We're not trying to read things into this. We just make connections with these. You see, in verse 14, John 6, uh, 6 verse 14, then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to, to, to the mountain by himself alone. Why? Why would Jesus do this? You know, when I read this and I look at the world today, the state of the church today, there's a vast gap between what Jesus did and what people are doing now. The minute when a miracle takes place these days, what happens? You get these people raising their hands up and go, Whoa, see what I've done. I've prayed for him. I've prayed for him. I've listened to a man this week. Just a short clip of his message. 
And he was talking about people and how he laid his hands up and he could see legs grows and arms grows and all of these kind of things. And he says, whoever I touched, whoever I touched, and I go, you've got it so wrong. You are now making yourself king. When Jesus did the miracle, what did he do? He removed himself. He removed himself. Look, let me tell you this. The glory belongs to God alone. We don't touch the glory of God. But that's why I say, as ministers of the word, I, it's a privilege for me to preach here. But don't become a follower of me. I just point to Christ. I'm just a signpost. These disciples are all just signposts to Christ. So he removed himself. Now, they were thinking he's a prophet, like in Deuteronomy 18 verse 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. This was Moses speaking, from your midst, from your brethren, whom you shall hear. So there's four reactions this morning. First reaction is send them away. Let's just send them away. Let's not have their problem. Secondly, man's provision with no faith. And it can only produce a little. Man's provision with little faith, and God used that. He took that poor man's lunch and he multiplied that. And then we've got Jesus' provision. Where are you sitting this morning? Are you trusting in God? Are you trusting in Jesus? Are you sitting in your own problem this morning? In your own world? All you've got, give it to Him. You say, but I've got nothing to, to give. That was me, I've got nothing to give. But you know what He did? He took me and He saved my soul. And He gave me so much more. So much more than I could even dream of. Let's pray in Jesus' name.